Tomorrow marks the first time that one of the members of the Notorious Devil's Rejects Cult has been eligible for parole. Vera Ellen Firefly, a.k.a. Baby, has spent the last 10 years incarcerated right here behind me at Tucker Farms. This is a maximum security correctional institution. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to the final chapter of a four-chapter-long discussion on director Rob Zombie. I'm your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and in this, the final episode, we will be tying up all the loose ends, very unlike uh, certain films that we've discussed throughout the course of this series. Uh, we will do the final chapter of the Rob Zombie uh, bio, and we will have reviews for 31 and 3 from Hell. So we're, we're, we're going to do all of the things that we're supposed to do. We, we also will have uh, voices other than my own, which some of you might be absolutely ready for, which, yeah, I don't blame you, but God, no need to be a dick. Anyway, <laughs> this is this is going to be a fun one. Hope you guys are ready for it. I hope you guys are ready to just kind of get through this so we can move on into new terrains, new territories, and new discussions on the Creature Features Podcast from geeksoftheindustry.com. Persist in trying to provoke me, Mr. Bob. Spectre? Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired. Are you familiar with this proposed group that they're trying to put together on this study of your report? Well, I haven't heard of that. I've, I've, I've seen the... Uh, reports on this on the senate investigating committee that they've been talking about i want to get by just uh, with your file and your report it would be very very bad to have a rash of investigations of gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them and that he was also a necrophiliac. Hello, I'm Rob Zombie, and uh, this is my house, so uh, come on inside, and I'll show you some weird stuff. 
His solo debut album, Hillbilly Deluxe, 13 Tales of Cadaverous Cavorting Inside the Spook Show International, was released on August 25, 1998. Now Zombie has gone solo with a new album called Hellbilly Deluxe, on which his sound remains pretty much the same. The album was a commercial success, debuting at number 5 on the Billboard 200 with the first week sales of over 121,000 copies. The album's first week sales topped that of his previous albums with White Zombie. I mean, when I look back now, I mean, it was fun, it was great, but there comes a point where it's no longer a rock band. It's like I really felt like, hey, it's Siegfried and Roy, you know, why don't we make Snake and Tiger disappear? Because it was just becoming so big that it did, you know, we, we could walk off stage and probably no one would notice for 15 minutes. White Zombie drummer John Tempesto remains a part of Rob's new road band, but the other two members are Fresh Meat, a bassist called Blasco, and a rather strange guitarist called Riggs. First thing he did was build a clear guitar and fill it with blood. <laughs> he's like, he's like, being all serious, he's like, how do I... He brought all these snakes and charge. He's like, dude, I think these snakes are going to rot if I keep them in my guitar. But then if it fills up with maggots, that'd be cool, right? Be badass. He's like, he's really funny guy. Hellbilly Deluxe went on to become his biggest selling album to date, with sales exceeding 3 million copies in the US alone. The album was influenced by classic horror movies, with numerous songs on the album containing samples and quotes from some of his favourite movies. I get vintage movie posters everywhere. That's my big thing I collect. And if you look around, here's a good one. Here's a window card from Dracula, but it's not from the movie, it's from the stage play when the ghost was in the play. Freaks is a good one. Munster Go Home. I got a lot of Munster stuff. That's a big thing that I like. No, how fast we can go. Zombie was set to make his directorial debut with the film The Crow 2037 and had even written the film's script. The film was set to take place in the future, though it was never released. It was decided that the film wasn't suited for the franchise, but would instead serve as a standalone project. Zombie designed a haunted attraction for Universal Studios in 1999, which was later deemed instrumental in reviving the Halloween Horror Nights annual attraction. It was during this time that he began working with the studio on his directorial debut, a film titled 
House of a Thousand Corpses. The project began filming in May of 2000 with a scheduled release date of the following year, although the studio ultimately cancelled the release due to the violent themes present throughout the film. One! Fuck your mama! Two! Fuck your sister! What are we gonna do? Quiet down, both of you! Three! Fuck your grandma! Now what we have to ask is, why is it that God has admonished us to hate evil? Well, first of all, God loves you. He said he drugged the victim, then strangled them, and finally dismembered their bodies. Break them, do The homelessness and all that. And now, the voice you've been waiting for. In 2002, Zombie announced his engagement to longtime girlfriend Sherry Moon and set the wedding date for November 9th, 2002. Only 10 days before the wedding date, the couple decided to elope on October 31st, 2002 to the Graceland Wedding Chapel. Moon said, quote, we were actually taking a walk in our neighborhood the day before. The wedding date was to be November 9th and we're like, oh God, we've been together nine years. We should just say our vows privately. It was a spur of the moment decision. It just happened that the next day was Halloween. We didn't do it for any spooky reasons or anything. End quote. Now married, Moon officially changed her name to Sherry Moon Zombie. All right, well, cool. I mean, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. There's not going to be any announcements of any sort of Rob Zombie farewell tours or anything like that, right? You're going to just feel it Nobody out. Nobody falls for that anymore, do it, they? It's, it's done now. You can't even take it seriously. No, because you that. know as they're announcing the farewell tour, they're also booking the reunion right. tour simultaneously. <laughs> Absolutely. So. see a grease-painted reformer sitting before you, but trust me, I'm not here to brighten your dismal day. I am here to end your miserable life. You know, all in all, you've had a pretty good run. Deep down inside, you must have known. You digging what you see, Pops? I reckon I do. <laughs> It all had to end somewhere. Might as well be now. What the hell is this? Tonight, we are going to play 31. All you have to do is survive 12 hours of our own private hell. They say we hunt these freaks down and slit their throats. Now we have ourselves a game. Murder school? Oh, it's now in session.
30 watt is war. And war is hell. In hell, everybody loves popcorn. Just, just for me, for my own personal take, because it's Halloween and everybody is entitled to one good scare. Maybe, maybe the scare for you is having to sit through the film we're going to be discussing, uh, that being Rob Zombie's 31. And uh, the one person brave enough to endure 12 hours of torture uh, is uh, my good friend who was on uh, the last episode of Creature Features discussing uh, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, producer's cut, uh, a man whose Strasberries taste exactly like Strasberries, Mr. St Richard Strasberg, how you doing? I am doing excellent, man. I got me some coffee, I got my cigarettes, I am good to go. That's In, in life, that's truly all you need. You know, it really is. Pussy would be great, but coffee and cigarettes are a must. It is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, wow, man. Wow. I, I have never, like, seen as much hate for one movie as I've seen for this fucking film. Like, it's crazy. It's... Yeah, and a lot of it, I wonder if people are actually watching it or if they just see Rob Zombie's name and go, no. And, and I kind of feel like that's what it is. Uh, because I... I I'm gonna be incredibly blunt when I say this. I used to be a huge fucking Rob Zombie fan of his, of his fucking films. Like, I, I loved House of a Thousand Corpses. I remember the first time I went to the theater uh, to see it. I ended up seeing it, I believe, five times in the theater. Uh, but I remember when I watched the initial time, it just blew me away at how different it felt than every other kind of horror film. It felt unique. It felt like it was a vision and a voice. And, you know, I, I hear, you know, the negativity about that film. And it's perplexing. And, um, you know, then The Devil's Rejects, you know, followed a couple years after, which I was extremely excited to go see uh, because, you know, of the love that I had for House of a Thousand Corpses. And uh, for me... It not only did it, um, not only did it, you know, meet my expectations, but it exceeded them. And it, it felt like a growth of a filmmaker, you know, into something quality. Right. Know? And uh, so I was like, wow, we, we're going to get a genuinely great horror film director in this generation. You know, and it's drastically needed, you know, with the, the world of all of this uh, kind of cliche, marketed, you know, supernatural bullshit that we've been, you know, force-fed for the last decade, you know, that are like the Saw films, which for some reason has an audience. I personally don't get it. You know, uh, the Final Destination movies, you know, there's an audience for it. I personally don't get it. Uh, but this this filmmaker felt like he was it, maybe maybe the films weren't scary in the sense of of ah jump scare bullshit you know like right they were just more I'm going to create fucked up characters and see where it takes me 
yeah, it's scary scenarios in the sense that, you know, to a certain extent, and I, and I know that this sounds, you know, um, untrue, but there's, there's a level of being grounded in reality, as well as all of the shit that's far from the reaches of reality in his world. But there's this level of realism in the first two films, uh, you know, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, I feel, you know, is obviously kind of surreal and it, it feels more uh, music video driven and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, jaunting because it's so, like, anarchaic in its um, editing visuals and uh, just kind of sound usage. And then, you know, Devil's Rejects off the backs of that um, felt like it had more of a documentary feel while still kind of creating these animated, uh, well-versed in their world kind of characters. You know, uh, a, a fucking theme in his films is he hires character actors, actors from exploitation films of the 70s and 80s, you know, which is clearly a genre that he's in love with. You know what I mean? And right. That, that is one thing I will give him, is like, you're able to watch his movies and go, okay, you are really into this, like, genre. Yeah. You know, like, he, like you know in the back of his head, he is really trying to honor, you know, like, this genre that he really likes, and that he's enjoyed, I'm going to guess, his whole life. Yeah. You know, so, like, in the back of his head, that's what he's doing. And uh, you didn't even get to, like, his Halloween movie where it just kind of, like, that's where it just kind of hit the wall. Yeah, that that's pretty much uh, kind of in the timeline of his career where it seems like he hit kind of a crossroads with, uh, with the horror audience kind of in general. Uh, you know, I, I feel that it was kind of at that point where... You know, riding the high of the Devil's Rejects is at the height of his kind of career, where you know his next step is super important. You know what I mean? In the sense that he could either go one way and you know coast, or he can do something daring that won't be received by everybody else, and you know completely fall apart. And he ended up going the safe route. He, he went with something that, you know, was kind of a norm at that time. It was it 2003 that his fucking uh, remake Halloween came out? Um, or was it, it was 2006? 2007. 2007? Okay, so uh, he releases that, and, you know, I, I'll say it. I was excited. You know, I, I was like, this is interesting. I'm, I'm usually kind of opposed to remakes and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I was excited to fucking see Rob Zombie's take on all of Because he seemed like he was in love with the genre. Um, you know, what that film ended up being, you know, isn't necessarily what I kind of consider a Halloween film. And I'm sure if I ever get around... To doing the Rob Zombie remakes, I, I'll, I'll expound on that. Uh, but you know, I, I just I, I feel like 
you know, that that's kind of where the the fucking end of the relationship with the horror audience kind of started. And it was further exacerbated by uh, the sequel to the remake, Halloween 2, where, you know, he then creates his fucking wife as a ghost just to give her a part in the movie. And... <laughs> yeah, I have not even seen that one. It, it's... It's kind of atrocious. Like, uh... It, it is. It is. It's just pure fucking film school bullshit, and it it just it it doesn't feel like a natural sequel, as well as it not feeling like a a true to the to the franchise remake. It, it's it, it was almost like he was just like, I don't want anybody else to fucking ruin this. I want to be the one to ruin this. Well. Uh, without getting like too deep into like the Halloween stuff that he did, I know the Halloween two he did not want to do at all. Yeah, he should. He have. did not want to do it. And, he shouldn't have. Right, and he was like, "I don't want to do this." Like, but your other one did so good in the box office or whatever, right? And they were just like, they pretty much forced him into it, yeah. and it was a money grab for him, so he could make like Super El Bisto. Yeah, the haunted something, world something of El Super Bisto. Right, something which, stupid. You know, it, like again, that that's kind of a fan service thing that you know not a lot of people would went and saw. You know, and even less people saw it probably on DVD or home video or whatever the fuck it is now. You know, uh, download or whatever. You know, uh, that movie doesn't seem like it's one that unless you're like a Rob Zombie fan are you going to search that out right and uh, you know he follows that shit up with uh, with Lords of Salem oh, and, and honestly straight up this is where I had tapped out on Rob Zombie uh, where I just decided you know whatever potential I saw in this guy as a filmmaker, uh, you know, it's it's obviously not there. You know, it's it's not happening. Yeah, I remember me and my friend watched that, and at the end of it, uh, she just looked at me and she's like, "What did we just watch?" I yeah. was like, I, "I honestly cannot tell you." Yeah, I, I cannot do it. I tell you, uh, in preparation for this film, I went back and I watched Lords of Salem again. Go. Oh. Um, you are a bigger man than I, sir. <laughs> I, I gotta say, uh, after watching it uh, the, the second time, because this was the second time, after I watched it the first time, I was like, nope, nope, not gonna do that again. Uh, but, you know, going into discussing 31, I, I watched 31 twice in one day. And then the next day I watched Lords of Satan. And so, I, I'm going to say this now, I will be discussing Lords of Salem in a future episode. Like, that will definitely happen. Nice. Um, based on this second view. Yeah, I feel it's worth discussing. Um, but, uh... You know, for for a lot of people, and I, I'm only going to speak personally, 
I kind of wash my hands with Rob Zombie as far as being a filmmaker. I had already kind of washed my hands with him as a musician uh, years before that. And I. I'm like, so, like no, musically, he's one of those guys that I kind of like let his discography build up. Uh huh. And then I'll binge listen. You know, so like I'll. Let, I, I don't even know how many albums he has out now, right? But I'll wait for like maybe two or three albums. And then I'll be like, oh, right, I should probably go check these out. Yeah. And then I listen to them, and then I'm like, cool, my job is done. And then I move on to, like, you know, something better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, White Zombie, Rob Zombie, well, more so White Zombie, uh, when I was in high school, was, like, a huge fucking band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, well, it was massive. Like, like, a huge fucking band, and, uh, you know, I really dug them because, you know, he, he seemed genuinely a fan of the horror genre and he used samples from movies I loved and, you know like like he's he's this guy that's just stylishly somebody that I think you know yes this is this is a guy who's making music for me you know what I mean in, in the sense that he his references and things like that are things that I'm like yeah fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> now, now, have you ever heard any of the White Zombie albums before, uh, what was it, L6 Aristo? No. It is a completely different band. Is it really? Yes, yes. I am willing to say that it would remind you of, like, White maybe Snake? some, no, like, Sonic Youth. Like, Sonic Youth and White Zombie were actually in the same scene, if I remember correctly. Like over there in New York, and then White Zombie became like what you know we know now. Uh-huh. But it was just like it was like on a flip of a dime. Like if you listen to the album right before that, you're like, what? What just happened? It's a very weird evolution. And and that's the thing with Rob Zombie stuff. And I think I've said this in Mega Powers, is that the first couple of things that he does. They're very passionate, very just like strong, you know, like like he has something to say, and then he gets it all out, and then he's just making money. That's the way I felt about White Zombie. That's the way I felt about Rob Zombie, and that's the way I feel about Rob Zombie's films. Is that the first couple are really fucking strong, and then he just goes into coast mode. Right. No, I I have had the chance to see Rob Zombie back in his heyday during the Hellbelly Deluxe tour. Uh-huh. Uh, he opened for Korn, which that should have been reversed. Yeah, I, I've seen Rob Zombie and Korn play together as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> for some reason, Rob Zombie never closes a show. Yeah. I, I don't understand that. But, yeah, like whenever I saw him, it was like at the peak of him being good. It was like right when White Zombie broke up. He's on tour, like, doing this new stuff. And there was, like, monster images, like, you know, monster movies playing. Uh, just weird, like, 70s exploitation films being played while he's, like, on stage. Just, like, like little clips, like a mixtape almost. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, like, weird video mixtapes, which is a whole other genre and rabbit hole that I really enjoy. <laughs> you know, so for me, like, that concert was amazing. And then I watched him just devolve, exactly like you said. 
I mean, he's kind of going down the road of meatloaf. I, I, I liken him more to Alice Cooper. Well, the reason why I'm comparing him to meatloaf is every couple years, meatloaf would release another Bad Out of Hell album. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, it'd, like, it'd be Bad Out of Hell Volume 2. Bad Out of Hell Volume 3, like a decade later, right? Rob Zombie is doing that with Hellbilly Deluxe. <laughs> He already has Volume 2 out that came out, like, I don't know, maybe 6 to 10 years ago now. Have you heard his song, uh, the one, they're, they're all fucking in, an, in a spaceship or some shit? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like everybody's fucking in a UFO or something. Yeah. That sounds like a really bad Primus song. Yes, yes, dude. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And and so I, I kind of just, you know, counted myself as, you know... Rob Zombie's not going to do anything of quality. It's going to just kind of be a by-the-numbers Rob Zombie thing. Right. Now, now, musically, he has tried to expand. Uh There was an album, I think it was called Electric Horses. I'm probably wrong with the title, and I apologize. I'm not, like, the biggest Rob Zombie music fan in the world. But on that album, like, he had, like, an acoustic song on there. (laughs) And I was just like... You know, this isn't bad, but it's Rob Zombie. And as much as we're sitting here going, man, like, he needs to grow and do something different. When he does something different, you're just going, man, he really needs to go back to, like, that weird horror metal that he's been doing. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I feel like this is him going back to weird horror metal. That's kind of... The point that I've been trying to make with this this fucking 20 minute explanation is that I feel that the film 31 is ultimately what it is, is uh, him trying to go back to the well. Oh, it's definitely that. And, and uh, I had heard that, you know, in an interview he had said that he was trying to get that hockey film made. Uh, the bruiser one that he was trying to do where it was about this hockey team where they were just like fighters and that kind of bullshit. Basically the same movie that Kevin Smith has been trying to make for the last fucking ten years. Uh, they, they both have this hockey story that they want to tell. Oh, and, can you uh, just imagine if the two of them just go, fuck it, and then they get together? Oh, God. And they're like, they're like no one will stop us. Yeah. Oh, that would be the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so he, he's trying to get it funded so he can film it you know, and he's doing all this research and he's just you know consumed by this fucking hockey movie and you know he's hitting wall after wall you know with getting this fucking made and he said that you know just on a whim he was like I bet you if I were to just think of a horror movie off the top of my head I can get it made, and I can get it made quickly and for cheap. And uh, he he came up with just the first thing off the top of his head, uh, tossed it out to a studio, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll take it." Uh, that's actually not how this one happened. <laughs> do you do you understand that that is a is a mindset that this fucking guy has? Right. Well. Okay, so what happened was, was he was like, I'm going to get this movie made, and then he goes and gets it crowdfunded once. Yeah. And I don't think he made enough money. And then he gets it crowdfunded twice, and now we have this film. Yeah. So this this movie went through crowdfunding two 
times. And watching it, you can sort of tell. <laughs> Which, I mean, honestly, I, I'm a fan of, like, low-budget films, so I can't really be like, oh, you know, like, this is shit because it's crowdfunded and, like, financial issues. But you can sort of tell where he was at. Like, you get the feeling that this guy just locked himself into a room. And when I say locked himself into a room, I mean he just went home one day and he was like, maybe had a day off of tour and was like, hey, let's write half a movie. He, he did that for about two days and then he goes back on tour with whoever. He comes back home. He's like, all right, well, here's the finished script. I, I imagine that this movie probably took him about two weeks to write max. Yeah, and it was shot in 20 days. So, needless Which, to say, like that's that's not a a passion project. Well, <laughs> right. Well, with well, that being said, with that being said, like there's directors like Jim Wynarski, who that is their bread and butter, but, right? But you know, you're you're talking about apples and oranges at this point because Jim Wynarski isn't making this kind of film. <laughs> he isn't making right. an effects-heavy action piece. He's making guys sitting in a room and talking. You know, they're, uh, it's different. It's I, I don't know. Different. Like, like if you like look at his like earlier movies, he was definitely on the schedule of like we're gonna record, like we're gonna film this thing in like I don't know, like a week, if that. You know, like, like even if like you go back to Chopping Mall, which was the first episode of Creature Features I did with you, yeah. that was a really short filming time. Like, that movie was, like, made probably within the span of, like, two months. You know, like... So, I... I, I'm I mean, if, if, you're looking, if you're looking at, you know, early 80s films, and, you know, comparing them to a fucking Rob Zombie, like... Like, visually, like, those are two different fucking filmmakers. Like, uh, you know... Well, they and, are. And, well, uh... that can be done right. I, I don't know if you could do this kind of style on the quick and on the cheap. Oh, probably not. But that's I'm that's that the point can. that I'm making, is that he, he's making stylized films where Wynorski is making schlock. And that's no slight on Wynorski, because he makes great movies. I, I love his fucking movies. But in reality... <laughs> Right, like one is more, yeah. we're going to add CGI in after the film is made, Yeah, and it's yeah. going to look like a sci-fi movie. Yeah, or it might be a sci-fi movie. It, it's sci-fi channel, like he's from the camp of Corman, you know, it's different, dude. Corman, right. you know, the Corman films, they're they're made for the quick of the cheap, and, and that's why they look the way they look, and you know, it, you have movies that, you know, have a strong enough story that they'll able, they're able to carry that. But nine times out of ten, not really. You know, so for every fucking uh, death race, there's, you know, ten fucking heal, giant Gila monster films. You know, it's two, two different fucking camps of, of filmmaking thought process. Uh, you know, I genuinely, and I... And, and, you know, just looking at this film kind of as a whole, I feel like there there's a lot of moments of incoherency uh, where the story doesn't know kind of where it's supposed to go, uh, but it's punctuated with genuinely quality moments. You know, um, 
the the scene where they're eating was was what's his name? Larry? Is it, is it Larry? Oh yeah, we'll go Larry. Uh, but when when they're eating homeboy and you know they have that moment, and, and I and I gotta just talk about fucking Panda's uh, Jamaican accent. Who <laughs> what what the fuck? <laughs> what's going on there? Oh. Oh, the accents in this movie. Like, like, what was that? Awful. What was that decision about? Why did Why did he have to be Rastafarian and, and do the Jar Jar Binks of Rastafarian impersonations? Like, like that shit was brutal. What What I really think it came down to is whenever Zombie was making this movie, and you could tell by the writing. I mean, take away the fact that like it was he just shit it out. But the the writing style that he has is very much like he tries to write for people in the seventies as if that's normal slaying and normal normal like normal culture, I guess. Yeah, but the thing is is that and Lawrence Hill Jacobs, the guy who played Panda, I'm very sure was in the seventies. <laughs> living in the seventies. You know, he's he's not a spring chicken. He should know that this dialogue is bullshit and try to be like, hey, um, we wouldn't say this. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, like, you have this guy that was on Welcome Back, Potter. Yeah. You know, which is, I, I'm not sure if you watch that show or how much of it you watched. It's not known for exactly. Let's just put it like that. Well, exactly. But, I mean, that was filmed in the 70s and it was a very, quote unquote, hip show. Yeah. You know, so that's one thing I think Rob Zombie needs to get away from is setting his movies in the 70s you could definitely he, make this he took movie. his movie out of the 70s with Lords of Salem all I'm saying uh, same thing with Halloween yeah so but, but whenever, whenever, he, whenever he goes out of the 70s bad things happen so again returning to the well like <laughs> he's returned into that well because that's a safe comfort zone and when he when he steps out of his comfort zone People fucking stomp on. You know, that's that's what happened with Lords of Salem. Is he? He's like, okay, you guys are tired of seeing me do fucking Devil's Rejects movies. Uh, here's a here's a fucking witch movie. Ew, go back to what you did before. Right. And now he's back to what he did before, and people are still shit. I thought this movie was great. I thought it was great. I'm I'm just gonna fucking flat out say it. I, I mean, yes. There are moments, like I said, of incoherency. Uh, Panda's fucking Rastafarian performance was a little over the top. But all in all, this movie's fucking dope. Like, I, I loved Doomhead. Like, we, we've been talking this entire time, and Doomhead has yet to come up, which is a travesty. Because... He's legit more Joker than Jared Leto's, Leto's Joker. Like, right. legit. <laughs> right, well, there was actually a lot going on with Doomhead. Like, it, he's so sinister and so charismatic and just, like, he feels like a graphic novel character brought to life. Like, it, Richard Brick, his whole performance, it, it just felt like something special. The way he stood, you know, his, his body mannerisms, his, his delivery of dialogue, it, the, the, that moment where he's in the fucking bathroom and he's getting the makeup on, 
Oh, that was amazing. And he just starts wailing on himself. And and it's just... It's perfect, dude. (laughs) Like, he's... He is... Like, every time he came onto the screen, it was like something special was happening. You know? And and you open the movie with that fucking incredible monologue that he does. Where he's, you know, telling this... Which we find out is a fucking priest. uh, You know, that he's gonna fucking kill him. (laughs) It's just, it's this, it's this fucking incredible moment, and it, it's legit, like, that, that whole film, I feel, lives and dies on the strength of that one performance. Uh, E.G. Daly, who played Sex, in, of Sex and Death Head, Sex Ed, Death Head, she was Sex Ed, um, amazing, <laughs> uh, you know, it's fucking Tommy Pickles, you know, it's like, are we going hunting now? <laughs> now, uh, one thing with uh, Doomhead that I thought was interesting, and uh, I-, I was talking about how like Rob Zombie like goes through like, like for his music, he'll take like horror movie clips and then just throw it into his songs, and you know, you got a Rob Zombie song. Uh-huh. He did that with this movie, with that character. What when he's fucking watching Nosferatu? Yes, but then he went as far as making Nos- like making him into Nosferatu. Like some of the some of his movements were mimicked from the little clips that they were showing from Nosferatu, and I thought that was pretty interesting because yeah. I haven't seen Rob Zombie like actually do that visually before. Uh-huh. Or if he has, maybe not to this extent, where he's just straight up like, yeah, that's right, this character, his look is based off of this. And he moved like him. Like, you know, like that really impressed me. Like, that really impressed me. Um, another thing about this movie, like, with the clowns that he had, because pretty much the idea of the movie was Hunger Games mixed with Running Man. I would say more uh, Battle Royale. Oh, the reason why I was saying, like, Hunger Games is just uh, Malcolm McDowell and the two ladies dressed up, like, you know, very extravagant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's what made me think of that. But, uh, this movie, I really believe, is the film for the liner notes of Astro Creek from White Zombie. And the reason why I say this, or even Astro, or, uh, White Zombie t-shirts from the Astro Creep era, I'm not sure if you remember those liner notes, but inside, it would be pictures of, like, clowns that he drew. Uh-huh. He brought those clowns to life in this movie. Yeah, Psycho Head and Schizo Head? Yes. Fucking amazing. Yes. And, and the moment where, um, and I know we're, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but, uh, the moment where... You know, they, they fucking get them, you know, and, uh, you know, I think it's Schizohead. He's just like, they're making us do this! It's, it really, I don't know about you, but it was like, you know, is that what, is at the end of this tunnel, if they survive all of this, is they have to become clowns? Like, it, you know, I, I, I felt like it could have gone all of those different places. 
because they they have a line kind of like a throwaway line that Malcolm McDowell says where he says you know uh, the unbelievable becomes normal and you know the things that you do to survive you know become second nature to you you know like so these people that are the clowns inside of this are they survivors of the last games and now they're killers you know like is that how this works right that was actually something I was thinking about towards the end and and it was I, I thought it when he said it and then uh, when you have that moment with Psychohead and Schizohead where he's you know he totally breaks character and you know has that moment and it's like is that what he's trying to make you believe like I, I just I felt like stuff like that moments like that really fucking you know drive this as a fucking film you know where you don't have things like that in Halloween too. <laughs> um, but uh, also what what was the name of the of the fucking little one uh, uh, the, the little girl no the, the little little head <laughs> okay little, Little head. Yeah, like I, I thought the name of some of these guys was pretty funny. Oh, uh, let's see. We had Sickhead. Yeah, it was Sickhead. Yeah. Sickhead was the the Mexican dwarf uh, clown painted up like Adolf fucking Hitler. <laughs> Just. Just the the express that that whole expression itself, the, the little dwarf clown dressed up as Adolf Hitler, amazing, <laughs> amazing, and that's that's you know that's where you're fucking basically, you know, introduced to this game thirty one that they're, you know, they're captured and made to play, and and I also feel like their capture was straight out of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. You know, where they're driving the van and they drive up to the fucking Scarecrow and then the Scarecrow comes alive and it's fucking Otis. The giant comes out of nowhere. Like, it was the exact same scene from House of a Thousand Corpses, except this time it was like the Aquabats came out and attacked them. Uh, but it just, it just, it was like, okay. It, 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 they, he even did the, uh, the pause frame zoom in thing that he did. Um, in that scene, in this scene, uh, fucking, uh, what is his name, uh, Roscoe, mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips, he's been in, like, three of fucking Rob Zombie's movies, and he looks like fucking Dave Grohl fucked Rob Zombie, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, that's, that's what I think every time I see that dude, it's like, that's fucking the love child of Dave Grohl and Rob Zombie. But uh, his character was very much like his character in Lords of Salem, kind of a uh, uh, Sherman zombie cuckold. You know, just like, oh, I, I love her so much, but, you know, I'm just kind of her prop. And, and you know, his, his whole character is kind of, um, you're expecting him to die. You know what I mean? Right, and I, I loved when they put the odds on the fucking on 
on the group of them because they capture the five of them. Um, you know, it's it's fucking uh, Panda, Charlie, you know, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, uh, Roscoe, fucking Venus, played by Meg Foster, who you know you may remember from fucking They Live or uh, Master of the Universe, chick with the crazy bright eyes, who's also in Lords of Salem, just naked as a jaybird. Uh, but, uh, you know, she she's totally rocking the Iggy Pop this time. Like, <laughs> yeah. tell me you aren't thinking Iggy Pop the whole time you were watching this movie. Now, one, one thing or I Or Brian Kendrick. <laughs> uh, one thing I've noticed about Rob Zombie movies is he's casting based on Sherry Moon Zombie. Well, yeah. Like, and when I say this, I mean, this movie, if it was made by another director, the cast would be an average of 20 years younger. See, and I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. I think that, you know, going with 20-somethings is the norm. You know, but they, oh, yeah. they aren't real people. You know what I mean? That when when you cast a movie like that, like a Scream or uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, where you get these fucking TV actors and and they very much are like the Noxima girl, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, that's unrealistic. You know, he's casting people that look weathered and real and you know leathery and you know kind of. And, and and I almost feel like his casting sometimes is like, you know, like Sherry Moon Zombie is the pretty girl, and the rest of the cast are the fat chick she goes to the club with to make herself look good. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like I I really think that whenever he casts this movie, he goes, "Okay, my wife, you're in this. Malcolm McDowell, do you want to do this?" Yes. Okay. Now I'm gonna have to base the rest of this cast. Off of these two <laughs> yeah. And and now he has like go-tos, you know, like uh, Kid Foray or fucking Sid Haig or right, right. Now he has Bill these go-to guys where he's like, okay, so after I make sure that these two people are in, I am going to cast around them and get people that. Lou Temple. Lou Temple was fucking great in this movie. He was yeah. uh, psycho head. Uh, fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. <laughs> like uh, that that pairing of clowns was really fucking good to me. But again, it felt like Otis, like two Otises. Now I, I also have another theory about this, movie. and I'm not sure if you're gonna go along with it, but. This is just a random theory I Is have. this like Mike Myers in Halloween? Um, <laughs> actually, it does have something to do with the Halloween series. Here we go. Okay, so, what was it? Season of the Witch, like whenever they just completely abandoned Mike Myers? Yeah, yeah. Right? I think this, would, this is the movie that if the Halloween series continue down that path of like just like anthologies... Of just, we're going to give you, like, a scary story or whatever each movie instead of sticking with Mike Myers. I think this would be Rob Zombie's... Michael Myers. Or Michael Myers. (laughs) Not Mike Myers. Behave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, behave. Uh, I still have that dream, sir. Uh, 
still yeah. have that. Oh, <coughs> sorry. Talking about that, just kind of get off subject. So, Jamie Lee Curtis actually tried to get Mike Myers in H2O. Gross. As like a walk-on. Gross. And he wouldn't do it. And then she was like, okay, well, could we use like, so I married an axe murder. Like, on, on just like on the TV, like they're just watching it. And he was like, no. God, so at least could, he has actually, some sense. You could actually thank him for not having that happen. Oh, thank God, dude. He uh, is my dream crusher. <laughs> good job, Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, no, so, like, I really think that this is, like, sort of like if the, uh, the Halloween series went down that path. I think this is, like, Rob Zombie's, like, entry in that. Uh, I mean, you could even argue that Trick or Treat would be the same thing. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I don't know, dude. Like, again, uh, Halloween 3 is one that uh, I'm sure I'll be talking about next year on Franchise Scores. Alright, I'm gonna be talking about Halloween 3 next year on Franchise Scores. Uh, for anybody that's, that's interested, that, that's when I will be talking about Halloween. Um, but yeah, dude, I, I just, I, I don't know, I, I feel like this film was well put together. Um, oh yeah, and, and by me by me saying, like, you know, I think this is entry, is in no way bashing me. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just, I feel like this, this film works, and it, you know, it's definitely not his best film, but um, it's not his worst either. I, and I'll, I'll do this ranking kind of, you know, uh, favorite fucking Rob Zombie movie is uh, Devil's Rejects. Second to that, House of a Thousand Corpses. Third, this, 31. Um, and then the rest. What about you? What are your top three? Uh, you pretty much nailed it. I would in that order? This, I would actually probably put this above House of a Thousand Horses. Really? And the reason is, like, that was, like, a movie that, whenever it came out, like, I saw it. And I was like, eh. Eh. Like, he has potential. I see where he's going with this. You know, and I, I have friends that were like, this movie's amazing. Yeah. And then Devil's Rejects came out. And I was like, this is the movie that I was wanting when I saw House of a Thousand Corpses. And see, for me, I, I love House of a Thousand Corpses because, you know, it at a certain point in the film makes a tonal shift and it becomes a completely different film. Like, and, and I would honestly say that that tonal shift takes place... Uh, when fucking Otis comes out in her dad's skin. That, for me, is when it changes. And, you know, there's a lot of torture that goes on before that, but for me, that first, like, 40-some-odd minutes is, you know, like, very colorful and fun, and even, you know, the violent and kind of gory stuff is still done kind of in in a very fun way. Um... But then that second half where, you know, it's the the underground and Dr. Satan and all of that shit, 
mm-hmm. it's super dark. It's super like you know serious horror film, and and I I genuinely loved that. I thought that that was imaginative as fuck and completely different. And I feel I feel like this film feels like it was. 90% that second half of House of a Thousand Corpses and about 10% of the first half. I, I, I can see that. I liked, you know, and, and I've seen a lot of, like, negativity about uh, the opening uh, the opening credit sequence where it's done kind of that Super 8 style. And, you know, I thought it was fucking cool. I thought it was well edited. I thought it looked fucking interesting and it you know, it was conveying that, hey, this takes place in the 70s. Which I wasn't mad at. You know, his use of fucking music in films is perfect. Uh, Dream On at the end of the fucking movie is fucking fantastic. You know, I just... For me, this movie works on a lot of goddamn levels. Uh, primarily that of Doomhead. Uh, but all of the clowns were great. Like I said, E.G. Daly is... is uh, fantastic <laughs> she's she's something to behold and um, you know again uh, where fucking Richard Brake did Joker better than Jared Leto I feel like E.G. Daly did fucking Harley Quinn better than fucking uh, Margot Robbie mm-hmm. I, I felt like uh, having that Harley Quinn and that Joker in this movie and not putting them together was brilliant. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. it's, this movie works on a lot of fucking levels. And you know, I, I've heard the negativity about it and you know, I, I can agree to a certain extent on some of the negativity, but I feel like a lot of people that are saying then fuck this movie haven't even seen it. And for me, for my money as a horror fan, you know, and some people will disagree with me. This is a fucking good movie. It's, yeah, it's entertaining. It's, it's it's dark. It's you know beautiful, and you know it, it just it's quick. You know it doesn't it doesn't linger too much. Right, and I I honestly believe that if he released this movie after Devil's Halloween. Rejects. If well, he, after Devil's, if after he Devil's did this Rejects after fucking uh, Devil's Rejects and not done Halloween, if he did 31 instead of Halloween, people would have loved this fucking movie. Right. Straight I up. Think, <laughs> I think even if he did this after Halloween, people would have still given him a chance. Yeah. You know, but he just dug his own grave with that one. Yeah, if Literally. he would have did this instead of Halloween too. Exactly. People would have given people would have given a pass to Lords of Salem. Right. Or Lords of Salem might never have been made. No, I think Lords of Salem uh, would have still been made. That that seems like one that he was he was adamant on making. Now, uh, one thing I really enjoyed was the soundtrack for this film. Uh, the score uh, you know, it's done by him and John Five, and I think another guy from his band. Uh, felt very reminiscent of a John Carpenter score. Right. 
and and kind of lazily like a John Carpenter score. Like I I felt like there's there's one fucking uh, like song moment where it's straight up like a pull from the fog. I, I just I, I I felt like that that was just a straight up just pull from fucking the fog. Yeah, no, like, like I enjoyed it though. For like what it was, like I really got into that score. Now, what was interesting was whenever he did Lord of Salem, there was like a big to do on his webpage and on John Five's webpage. So much so that John Five has not updated his webpage. Like it's like his like webpage is set up like a blog, I guess you could say, and the last entry before he announces that he's doing the score for this movie is like Lords of Salem soundtrack, Lords of Salem soundtrack. It's like the last three entries. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so you guys did this Lords of Salem soundtrack. Excellent. What about 31? And then 31, it just says, uh, John, like Rob Zombie announces John five is doing the 31 soundtrack. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like it's not up for release anywhere. It's it doesn't exist. It just does not exist. I I checked like a couple random sites. Maybe like they released it in the UK, right? And it's not here because I could see Rob Zombie doing something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like there's like websites that chronicle soundtracks, and it's just it's pretty much like Wikipedia's for soundtracks, right? Like you throw in a movie name, and then it will tell you like each edition of a soundtrack or each release of a soundtrack. This one, it just has, like, the poster, like, the movie poster, and then it just has no soundtrack available. I was like, really? <laughs> like, they, they took the time to announce that John 5 was releasing this the exact same way that they did for uh, Lord Salem, but that was it. Yeah. Like, they did not do anything for this, which I wonder why that happened. Maybe the soundtrack would be 20 minutes. Who knows? But it feels like a, an easy cash grab for like Rob Zombie fans. Yeah, uh, I, I just it's it's not a great score to me. Uh, it's kind of you know too too obvious, like too too apparent. You you're too aware of it. And that's that's never good. You shouldn't be hyper aware of it. It should accentuate what's going on on the screen. Um, now, do you think that's because of the short time limit? I don't know, dude. I, I just, I feel like, you know, your, your fucking score should, you know, be, be a supporting character. And supporting rather than, you know, like, hey, look at I'm on, I'm playing. Right. Well, I, I noticed, like, in this movie, like, uh, I, I did like the use, or rather the uh, sound quality at the beginning of the movie, like, whenever, I, f- I forget what song it was at the beginning, but it's like a 70s classic rock song. And, like, whenever they get out of the van or whatever and they start dancing, like, it just sounds like a car radio. And I like I liked that feature, like, that effect that he had on the sound there. Yeah. And then he did that again later with uh, Dream On. Yep where it sounds like a car radio. 
So, like, that tells me that he took the time, like, when it mattered. And then the rest of it, he just kind of threw the music in. Without actually, like, taking the time to maybe balance the levels or... I, I think that's really what it comes down to. At times, the music was louder than it should have been. Like, throughout the rest of the film. Mm. Five of you to kill a little itty bitty baby. Oh shit. Oh hello ladies. <laughs> I am all mad and I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh, we're gonna fuck all your holes. Count yourselves lucky! You got fucked by the best! Ah! Some exciting coming attractions from Bedridden tells the story of Terry, a weary widow coming home from the hospital, facing the painful task of rebuilding her life as a single mother, following a traumatic encounter with an armed assailant. When her worst fears seemingly come true, Terry finds herself bedridden and trapped in a cat and mouse game of life and death. Bedridden is a homegrown horror movie featuring an all El Paso cast and crew. Donate to our Indiegogo today and get such kickback perks as t-shirts, posters, thank you credits, and a digital copy of the completed film. Go to Indiegogo.com backslash projects backslash Bedridden today and help make our nightmares come true.
I just know there's something wrong. You're too quiet. Jesus, will you look at this? Something's been butchered up here. Let's hope it was an animal. I never saw so much blood. Oh, we better search the place. It's Mrs. It's Mrs. Reston. I knew it. I knew something awful had happened. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Get her out of here and call the station. And little Timmy. You ready? Big man. Big man. <gasps> mommy. Oh, mommy. Timmy. Where's Mommy? Where's Take mommy? it easy, kid. You're safe now. Where's the father? He's away in Europe with the Air Force. But there's an aunt. She lives an hour away. I'll call her and take him over there. Where's mommy? Oh, this Where's is mommy? terrible. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. guys, Jeremy Moorhead here to discuss Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie, man, uh, I really like Rob Zombie. I've met Rob Zombie, very nice guy. Um, I like a few of Rob Zombie's movies. Um, I think they're great. Devil's Rejects is an absolute masterpiece. Um, I was excited as a fan when I saw it because I was like, you know, this is an example of what's to come from this guy that I'm, I'm really excited to see all of his movies. And from there, it's just... It's a very mixed bag, his filmography. Um, I've liked a couple things. Again, Devil's Rejects is a masterpiece. Uh, Lords of Salem, I really dug. Um, Rob Zombie's Halloween, fans love to hate it and love it. Um, 13 years later, fans are still talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween. For good merit, because it's, it's just such a strange approach to an iconic franchise. And... I love that movie. Um, I did not always love that movie. It was a movie that I grew to love. Um, I didn't love it out of the gate, but I, I just I think it's so strange and it's so fascinating. Everything about that movie. I've even watched the four and a half hour documentary that goes along with the movie. Uh, I love it. Thirty one and Three uh, from Hell. Not fans of. Not 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 for me. I mean, the fact that he made a sequel to Devil's Rejects, I think, was don't don't follow up your masterpiece, but he did, and 
it probably has the results of Jaws for the Revenge. <laughs> like, I'd say the Jaws for the Revenge and Grief of Hell are on par with, uh, prob- probably should have left it alone. So, uh, I like Rob Zombie's music, some of it. So, kind of like his movies, I like a couple songs, um, outside of a couple songs, and his music starts to sound the same to me, and that kind of rolls over into the films. They, they all kind of start to feel and look and sound the same thanks to his redneck trash dialogue. I don't know if there's anywhere in the United States where people actually talk like how they talk in Rob Zombie's movies, but I've never met them. Uh, it's hard to follow, can't relate to it, and I really wish he didn't shoehorn it into all of his films. However, I like Rob Zombie. Rob has a couple films I like. Rob has a couple songs I like. He's cool in my book, but I totally get how a lot of people are either love or hate. The search for the fugitives known as the Devil's Rejects resulted in a violent clash with police. Chances for survival are less than a million to one. There's no justice in this world. I am justice. They're trying to blame us, but we didn't do it. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. <laughs> now we can have a real dead dead. Last words. Hey, Dan, I still want to party. This is my house. <sighs> I'm just a clown dancing for the sins of mankind. Did I just call you? <laughs> this is my death factory. You are the product. I love it. Joining me for the final review of this director spotlight on Rob Zombie is a person that I talk up 
quite a bit on this show. He's been a constant collaborator and just somebody that I all around enjoy having conversations with in regards to horror. Everything else, though, not so much. Uh, <laughs> the host of the Horror Haven podcast. Say hello, Mr. Dylan Jarvis. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good, Larry. And uh, like always, I, I, I like the, the hype up that you give. You see, I, I wanted to go in with with a bait and switch. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I only like talking to him about horror. <laughs> fuck that guy. Otherwise, yeah, you know. fuck, fuck all the other stuff. <laughs> I, I, I will say, too... Um, side note a little bit but i just finally got some me time to catch up on some stuff and i just listened to the serbian film episode and thanks for the little shout out at the end it was yeah, sweet yeah i, I figured <laughs> if if any place to announce the uh, birth of your child uh, a film with newborn porn <laughs> that's it is, is the place to do it i guess you know <laughs> Uh, trust me, I, I even think I said something to the effect of, wow, this is the place I say this. <laughs> you, you said, I, it was the end of the episode, and you're like, I'm going to give a little shout out to a friend of mine, and I instantly was like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure I could have waited for Suspiria, but, you know, it was, it was fresh in my mind. I was high. It's all good. <laughs> What's high, man? Shit, shit, weird, weird shit happens when you get high. <laughs> but uh, it, it is. This episode has been relatively refreshing because I've been able to talk to actual people, um, which is different as <laughs> opposed to uh, the way the show has been. So, uh, you guys have any plans on doing your show anytime soon? Or. I actually, because uh, we, we put a little hold on it, because I, I think we just got so overdone with horror. I love horror to death, but we were doing nothing but watching horror movies every single night for the last, like, four years. Yeah. And I was like, I, 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 need a, I, was like, I need a little break. So we would, like, throw out ideas, like, yeah, you know, maybe we should cover this movie. And then we'd go to watch it and be like, I'm really not in the mood. But um, being October and, you know, the Halloween season, we've been really just knocking out horror movies left and right so i'm gonna talk to sierra a little later and see because i mean there's really no reason why we can't hop on and do a couple episodes especially when they're fresh in your head that's exactly yeah you know, uh, i i don't do a, a shit ton of research for the shows mm -hmm. um like I, i'm literally I'll, I'll give you the full extent of my notes for this show I'm pulling up the IMDb synopsis, <laughs> and, and and you know I'll I'll have the IMDb pulled up just so I can cite the actor names uh, or the characters that they play. But that's it, you know. The rest is just off the titty, and and I think that that's it, it's a much more natural process. And yeah, you know, uh, again, I haven't been able to talk to podcasters in forever because of social distancing and all that shit i mean we're all still on you know like skype or you know discord or fucking zoom or some shit but yeah you know, that's that's the excuse i'm gonna give is that i've been socially distancing from, <laughs> from co-hosts don't want to don't want the covid to come through the computer <laughs> co-host covid <laughs> And now I'm just risking it all because it's Halloween. <laughs> um, <laughs> fucking A. Uh, before we get into the the movie that we're going to be discussing, 
I've been giving everybody, you know, the opportunity to do this, but if you want to give kind of brief uh, feeling about Rob Zombie, the filmmaker, just your opinions, you know, however you want to say it in your own words, the floor is yours. I'm going to smoke some weed. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I, I like Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. Um, obviously, I, I think everybody in the horror world is kind of on the same general level that uh, the Halloween remakes are not good movies. Um, I, as far as his original movies... There's some that I like more than others. I think that his biggest downfall is... He... he, he, Like with Lords of Salem, for example. I love Lords of Salem. I thought it was a great movie. But then you get the last, like, five, ten minutes of the movie where it's just, like, an acid trip Rob Zombie music video style. You know, you got priests jerking off and shit. And it just felt out of place with the rest of the movie. Um... House of a Thousand Corpses is one of my favorite newer horror movies. Um, and talking to Sierra a little bit about it, um, I, I feel like it's one of the last scary slasher movies to be successful in a theater setting. Um, I mean, after that, you started getting all these torture porn, uh, paranormal conjuring universe saw and they were successful but not the same as these 70s 80s slasher type movies and it's kind of refreshing whether you like rob zombie or not he is one of the prominent filmmakers out there right now um maybe not right now but i'm a fan i'm a fan not not I, I wouldn't say that he's Carpenter Craven level, but he's a notable name in the, in the industry, and I, I wouldn't call any of his movies masterpieces, but other than the Halloween films, all of his films I've been able to put on and, for the most part, thoroughly enjoy. Um, House House of a Thousand Corpses being the exception of I I fucking love that movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say I fucking love, you know, 31, but if I put 31 on, I'm not going to be like this is fucking stupid. Turn the shit off right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> some people would. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it you had mentioned something that I that I think is interesting and um uh you Carpenter Craven and mm-hmm. There, there seems to be, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be kind of generationally a handful of guys that kind of stand out as the voice of that particular time period. And, you know, for the 80s, it was, you know, guys like Carpenter, Craven, uh, 70s was like Romero and Argento, and, you know, 90s, I don't feel that there were any, per se. No, not really. Um, I mean, you had, like, Craven still putting stuff out, like, New Nightmare but, and Scream. But what I'm which saying were, is, like, there yeah. was no new batch of right. voices in that period of time. Right. I, I mean, you could argue Kevin Williamson, but, you know, Kevin Williamson was a writer. He wasn't a director. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you could 
argue maybe like a Joe Chappelle, but again, Joe Chappelle made trash movies. <laughs> you know, so I, I uh, think I think where the the kind of difference with that all this is though is. Uh, you have this generation from the 80s who appreciate those filmmakers, like you said, and you have Rob Zombie making movies in the 2000s and the 2010s, and I, I think the difference is you don't have new horror fans saying, oh, Rob Zombie's great, he's like our filmmaker of our generation. When you get Rob Zombie film fans, it's it's generally people that have an appreciation for the the older movies. But, and I it's mean, the older crowd. In that 2000, 2010, you have guys like Eli Roth and exact. you know Rob Zombie. Um, the what's the dude who did the Saw movies? Um, fucking escapes me right now. But <laughs> he's another one of those. James guys. Wan. Wan. James. Wan. Yeah. Yep. And you know, there's that batch of guys, and now mm-hmm. in this what I'd like to call the Blumhouse era is this batch of directors, you know, like an Ari Aster, like mm-hmm. a Jordan Peele, you know, where that's representative of the current trend, generational trend. And right. that that's an important, like that's a necessity, I think in the identity of horror for a period of time. Uh, and I might be completely wrong on that, but that's something that I've that I felt was necessary about Rob Zombie. And yeah, I, I agree. I, my or I guess what I was getting at was um, with say like James Wan, for example, who you know he kickstarted the Conjuring universe and stuff like that. Yeah. You have a younger generation. You know, you have these sixteen. 17 year olds that are going to the movies and they're that's their horror film that's that's their series that's their franchise that's their filmmaker that you know 10 20 years from now they're gonna have that nostalgia they're gonna have the yeah you know james wan was their john carpenter where with rob zombie for example you, you don't have like 17 year olds flocking to see three from hell and saying oh yeah rob, you know they're not going to be saying 10, 20 years from now, like Rob Zombie defined my teenage years in horror. You but know? he kind of did. I mean, if you really think about it, he's, he kind of did for a generation of kids that haven't really had the opportunity to have that voice yet. You know, the, they're, they're going to have guys like a Rob Zombie who they're going to cite as their inspiration. He, he, he definitely has a contingent of an audience you know because he's maintained a career this long and now he can sell films on his name alone and yeah. that's the mark I mean, of a quality filmmaker i mean whether you like him or not you know people are gonna hear it's a rob zombie movie and they're gonna automatically associate it with this kind of hillbilly carnival style of movie yeah, he's an auteur yeah I, I yeah I I get it I just I guess maybe it's just personal experience but I've just I've I've met more Rob Zombie fans that are older you know in their twenties thirties than I have you know a younger generation where if I go to the theaters and I go to see something like The Conjuring I'm in a movie theater with a ton of you know teenagers I, I would even argue that his audience maybe is still children 
you know, the, the the children of the people that went to go see those movies is usually the audience for that. Like, you know, when Nightmare on Elm Street was released, that wasn't my movie. That was my parents' movie. Right. It's just that was the taboo thing that I wasn't meant to watch. So there's an audience that hasn't had that voice yet is what I'm saying. I, I guess I guess if you put it in that perspective too, I mean you could say the same thing with James Wan because he put out Saw in the early 2000s. That's what I'm saying. All, all and then these those, Ed those Hardy kids wearing fucks that <laughs> now have fucking kids and they're in their New Balances. Those kids, when they become angsty teens, are gonna fucking be like, oh yeah, Rob Zombie was my shit. You know, it's the same. It's the same shit with like the the girls that wear the Iron Maiden shirts, but have never heard a fucking song. You know, it's it's the same principle. You know, it is that it's not necessarily that your artist for your generation was from your generation. You know, we we think of that with musicians, but with filmmakers, I think it is an inherited audience if if that makes sense yeah that you know specifically with horror films like there's gonna be you know your first wave of fans the ones that went to the theater to see it but even now that that system's antiquated you know the audience the actual audience are the ones that are consuming these these pieces of art at home you know the the home video market the the way that the home video system was set up it adversely changed the way that you know movies were consumed and and there's there was this holdout of that theatrical way of experiencing a film but there are different ways to do it and the way that you're really able to absorb is usually through the home video template where you're in your own environment and you're able to rewind or you know play it over and over and over again if you're going to the theater yeah you could go to the theater maybe you know 10 times when i was when scream was out in theaters i went and saw it 13 times in the theater jesus because i had expendable income and i had a girlfriend and we fooled around when we went to see the movie and you know but that's that's you know that's the full extent of the amount like that's that's an insane level of seeing a movie but when you're watching a movie at home you can watch it hundreds of times Mm -hmm. so the real absorption is the the home video experience so that first wave of an audience well that may determine that it was successful in that period of time uh, the cult audience is developed later on and he definitely has a cult audience which means he will have a legion of filmmakers that will follow his footsteps well put yeah 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 all off the table man <laughs> like i said <laughs> uh, let's let's get into the synopsis of three from hell and um i did a quick scroll before we started to uh record just so if I, you know, look for a synopsis. Like I said, I do a lot of research. Um, and I found a name that is very familiar on the Creature Features podcast. Whenever he's on, I'm going to use his. And it's uh, Nick Reganis. So you keep doing him good, Nick. I'll keep putting you on the show. <laughs> he has no idea I exist. <laughs> 
but his name sounds funny. It sounds like Rick Moranis. Uh, <laughs> That's what I thought you said at first. I was like, wait, homeboys on here reviewing Rob Zombie movies? Yeah. It, so it starts with a preface, apparently, which says, Needless to say, after escaping death by the skin of their teeth during a blood-soaked shootout in the Devil's Rejects, the murderous trio of sadists, Otis, Baby, and Captain Spaulding, are now left to rot in jail for the rest of their lives. However, evil knows no boundaries as their unrepentant mass murderers miraculously escape from prison. They reunite with Otis's half-brother Winslow Foxworth to pick up where they left off brutalizing once more the unfortunate ones who stand in their way. Now a dusty village somewhere in Mexico seems like a perfect refuge. Nevertheless, there too, death, and, bru and the brutish henchmen of a powerful assassin follow the fireflies, who shall live and who shall die in the day of the dead. Good job, Nick. Yeah, way to go, Nick. You live for another day. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't had to uh, re-edit out of that yet. So far, so far. Um, yeah, this was this was released last year in September, and mm -hmm. you know you could have waited a whole month and put this out in October, but you know that's a minor quibble, I guess. <laughs> It works out because it came out um, on my or around my wedding anniversary, so we went as a anniversary date. Because nothing says romance like Rob Zombie. Yeah, it, it sure does, man. I know <laughs> every girl that I went seeing a Rob Zombie with, movie with in the theater, I'm still with. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we do get. We do get the original cast back from the Devil's Rejects. We get Bill Mosley, Sherry Moon Zombie. Of course, we get Sherry Moon Zombie. And Sid Haig, um, who uh, passed away shortly after this movie was released, or before the movie was released, but after the movie was made. Um, and uh, I had had him on the show after the film was already kind of in the can, and I. I tried to um, pick his brain about the film, and he just was mums the word. Though he basically said, "Don't expect to see me a lot." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's actually uh, a lot of people kind of shit on Rob Zombie for. I remember seeing a lot of criticism for him. Um, uh, kind of on both spectrums. There was a lot, obviously, of oh, this movie doesn't have enough Captain Spaulding. Um, on the other side, there was, from my understanding, he had one day to film with Sid Haig because Sid Haig was very hush hush about his health, um, mm -hmm. and he wasn't doing great. So Rob Zombie had one day to film with him, and a lot of people were kind of giving him shit for even putting him in the movie, given. Sid Haig's health, but I, I think that that's kind of a bullshit thing to criticize because 
if you listen to any interview with Sid Haig or if you've met Sid Haig, you know how passionate he was about, you know, acting. Yeah. And, I, and you know, he could have said no. He, I, I feel like he probably really wanted to do it. And I'm glad that I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people that are like, fuck this movie, it needed more Captain Spaulding. I'm glad that we did get that little bit of closure and we did get to see him in the film, even if it was just for one short scene. And... and- for me, you know, honestly, I didn't feel this movie was necessary to begin with. Mm-hmm. You, you've already, you already had, you know, the ending. They, yeah. They went out in a blaze of glory. Uh, Which they, that they ending is their, fucking amazing. I was yeah, they very, had a butch yeah, and Sundance moment. Like, I was why? very curious to how they were gonna follow that up with, like, how do you, how do you follow that ending? Yeah. And you don't need to. Is the point? You, yeah. You, you literally don't need to do it but because they do it you know and you're a fan of those films you're like all right fuck it go ahead and take my money and uh, it it's really hard to watch Sid look and you know it, you could see it in the performance like he's there but he's just withering away and you know i know that towards the end you know we all were thinking it and nobody wanted to say anything and you know he he had a point where he you know really had on social on instagram actually he you know it was just like i'm not dying you know i I wish people would stop saying shit about the way that i look and you know it's it wasn't i don't think ever done from a place of you know being negative or mean it was we were worried about him and you know we all cared we all cared how he looked nobody wanted him to you know we weren't saying it in a way that it was like uh you know he looks homely or sickly we don't want him to be sick we we're worried that we're gonna lose him and you know when we did lose him it was was terrible but at the same time it it was clear that there was something wrong and that he was in a lot of pain and i was able to um i had that opportunity i met him twice in one year actually but um once was when Sierra was pregnant with Max, and uh, he was he was really sweet, but he, you could tell, like, he, with his behaviors, and he was very, like, soft-spoken and quiet, and you could tell something was wrong, and it, it like I said, it, or like you said, it's not something to where we were, you know, wishing ill on him or, you know, gossiping, but it was a general concern, because he was at this convention, and... He has these lines of people, and I I felt bad initially, but then you have this look behind the scenes, and like I said, with as far as the acting, like it, he loved doing it. Yeah. He loved going to these conventions and meeting his fans, and it kind of gave me a new perspective on it. The second time we met him um, was after Max was born, and we we met him. Uh, we got Max this little... It's like a cartoon drawing of Captain Spaulding. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we're, I was like, let's get this signed for Max, and we'll hang it up in his room. And he he asked, he said, is this Max? And we said yes, and he was, like, smiling and playing with Max. And it, it's almost funny how different he was as a person than his characters, you know? Yeah. Like, you see Captain Spaulding, and he's loud, vulgar, very, you know, fuck you. I, I, I immediately jumped to the Devil's Rejects with the, what's the matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Don't you make you laugh? And then you get, like, you meet him in person, and he's just, like, you know, making faces and playing with my son, and I'm like, what a fucking good actor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... uh don't mean to keep harkening back to the interview but one of the things mm -hmm. i'd asked him you know was you know what do you find um where do you find your characters and he said you know they're all essentially me you know and i'm taking elements of me and just kind of turning them up and you, you see that and you, especially if you've ever watched any of the uh, jack hill films that he did where they were in the Philippines, you know, so, um, you know, Big Dollhouse, Big Birdcage, you know, Coffee, um, Foxy Brown, he, all of those films, he played these very kind of amplified versions of himself, but he was a very, you know, easygoing dude, and he, he knew how to turn that gear on, and that's what fucking, he even was able to, in the state that he was in, still kind of turn it on even though i i felt like the character that he was playing wasn't captain spaulding if that makes mm -hmm. sense i don't feel like he had captain spaulding in it anymore when he mm -hmm. in this performance yeah and, I, I can see that and you know it you could pass it off as it being kind of a a testament uh to being in jail for the amount of time that they're supposed to have been in jail because you know that they, they do this really expository uh breakdown of what happened after the course of uh the ending of devil's rejects just so we can get to where we want to go which is mm -hmm. seeing the you know family on the run again and you know, again, I I equate the Devil's Rejects to uh, Butch and Sundance, like serial killer Butch and Sundance. Mm -hmm. And so this one, it's like, what would it be like if Butch and Sundance had a sequel? <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's unnecessary. <laughs> it's yeah. It was, and I going into this movie, I I, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I did feel a little let down because going into the movie, when they announced that they were making another one, and you kind of just assume, okay, well, they're in jail, I expected the entire movie to be kind of like a prison escape type movie. Yeah. And I, w I was excited for that. And you, we got the trailers, and that's what it looked like we were getting. And the first half of the movie is that. Uh, I would I, say it's it's a movie in three parts, and the second yeah. part is really, really lackluster. 
Like it's yeah. it's really shitty gristle between <laughs> yeah. the first act and the third act. Yeah, and, I, I think that the the first act of the movie is strong, and had they made that expanded on that and made that the movie, I think I would have enjoyed the movie a lot more. But the second and the third act just really felt that's where the unnecessary elements of the movie came in for me and see to me it felt like they were telling three different movies yeah like the first act felt like you know uh, exploitation prison escape film Mm -hmm. second act was carbon copy devil's rejects yeah and then the third act was like a true devil's rejects sequel you know, had that scene at the end of the Devil's Rejects not happened, I could have totally seen Spalding, Baby, and Otis in Mexico, and kind of the misadventures taking place there. Yeah. I, I could have totally bought into that. Um, reintroducing the Danny Trejo character, um, what were they called? Uh, the the Devil's assholes or some shit. <laughs> 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 I know that's not what they were called, but now I wish it's what they were called. <laughs> the Devil's Wrinkled Sphincter. <laughs> the Devil's Balloon Nut. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, me and my brother. <laughs> we're the Devil's Rusty Trombone. <laughs> kill him in some just like oh look at we're coincidentally filming this so it can end up on TV (laughs) 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 like like the the fucking Elastiman reaches that were taken in this movie (laughs) yeah absolutely or horrendous you you Uh, get the the introduction of Richard Brake's character though and I I really fucking enjoyed it I think Richard Brake's a great actor see I love Richard Brake in 31 you didn't like him in this, really? Because he was he was trying to qualify himself all the time. And, yeah. You know, um, do you ever watch the Dukes of Hazard? Yeah. All right. So do you remember how the Dukes, uh, the guys who played Bo and Luke, uh, Tom Wopat and John Schneider, fucking left the show for like a season because of money disputes, and they brought in the uh the cousins <laughs> <laughs> that's how you felt with this and, and, and how the cousins it, you know they were blonde and brunette just like Bo and Luke but <laughs> it just wasn't it just wasn't the same you know what I mean yeah. like, like like he's supposed to be playing you know that he like and you can tell that Rob Zombie didn't change the dialogue at all Except yeah. he changed the name of the character on the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, there's there were so many lines in the movie that I remember saying, like, I could see Spaulding saying this, yeah. like, word and, for word. <laughs> and, you know, so, it, that's nothing on Richard Brake, that's nothing on Rob Zombie. That is, you know, just the, the hand that they were dealt. Yeah. But 
I would go so far as to argue. Just me. Maybe. See if you have the the crew that you want for the movie before you write the movie. Yeah. You know, if if and and honestly, I don't think you need to go for the money grab story. Like you could you can get all these actors and tell a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I get it. You know, with 31, that's essentially what he was trying to do. You know, he, he was trying to go back to the well, but not do a sequel. Like, not do a straight-up sequel. But just do something that felt um, emotionally related. You know, visually related, without being that movie. Like, he was trying to recapture Devil's Rejects without doing a sequel to Devil's Rejects with 31. And then he just flat out did a sequel to Devil's Rejects <laughs> with Three for Bell. So, you know, I get it. It, it. it comes from a, not so much a creative place, but a business place. And, uh, you know, I understand it, but I just, do I respect it? Mm. Not. Nah. <laughs> no, I don't at all. <laughs> did I enjoy I... it? Not really, no. No. <laughs> Uh, there's some really fucking fun moments though, like there are. Uh, Clint Howard's whole whole fucking scene. I don't. I okay. I do not understand that scene whatsoever. I don't know what it added to the movie other uh, than other than just making, comedy. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I popped so hard at that scene because it's just so so fucking twisted. <laughs> and it again. A lot of the shit felt like cutting room floor of Devil's Rejects yeah, that they did absolutely. once they got out of the prison. And I think that's where he it? painted himself in the, into a corner, though. Because watching the movie, like I said, I, I had expected the whole thing to be a, you know, a, a prison escape movie. So when they escaped the prison, you know, a third of the way into the movie, I remember thinking, like, all right, well, now what? And they're like, well, we're going to go to Mexico. And then they go to Mexico, and I'm like, okay, well, now what? (laughs) You know, like, where are you going with this? And then it felt like this very swappily crafted together, let's just put these people after the Firefly family. And it it just was very anticlimactic and, again, just sloppy. Also, keep in mind, this movie is 115 minutes long. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That's nearly two hours to tell this story. <laughs> three, three stories, if you if you want to go that route. Yeah. So so the the point I'm making is you know that it could have easily been, and and here's me here's me playing armchair Booker for for three from hell. Okay. So what you do is you have the scene at the end of the Devil's Rejects. And, you know, it it ends the way that it ends. You know, then Blaze of Glory getting shot to death in that car. Right? And then Sherry Moon Zombie's character, Baby, jump wakes. And then they're in Mexico. As simple as that. 
Yeah. And then you tell the Mexico story. See, I'm the opposite. I didn't want the Mexico story. I wanted the prison break See, story. I, like, I love the Mexico story. I love the, um, you know, lawless men in a lawless world mm-hmm. kind of idea where this is where they would thrive. And, you know, because of who they are, they immediately fall in with the wrong crowd. Because what they do need, um, in my opinion, is... You know, they they need an antagonist that is just as crazy as them. However, because they rushed that Mexico portion, they didn't give that antagonist enough time. So he was quickly dispatched. And, uh, you know, that's to me the the thing that really ruins this fucking movie is that, you know, they because they did so much shit to get to where they wanted to go. They they did it at the detriment of creating the characters that they're wanting to create because they have to get through all of this shit to get to the point like where they're in Mexico and they have the heavy that's supposed to be the threat to them. Now with Devil's Rejects, you know, he's able to hunt them and pursue them the entirety of the film. So he's a threat, so his vanquishing is cathartic because he's he's done vile things to get to the point where he's at and what you do is you you show that um what's his name the uh rondo's son what what was rondo's son's name i'm terrible with names (laughs) the uh, he's the main villain (laughs) (laughs) he's the main villain and we don't know his name (laughs) i'm terrible with names in general but um that's fucking hilarious yeah that's that that goes it goes to prove your point is they rushed it to the point where you really don't get to know the character you don't really care (laughs) i'm looking it up because it's fucking with me now Aquarius? Really? <laughs> His name was Aquarius? Really? <laughs> like, that's some shit you'd think you'd remember. <laughs> that's how forgettable the fucking main antagonist to this fucking story is. Because yep. for the first half, it's Warden Harper. And then in that, Mexico, it's Aquarius. Another thing, another thing is, maybe you can answer this, or and I could be, you know, onto something. The first part of the movie, they focused so much on Baby's character being crazy. Yeah. Like she's hallucinating, she's seeing shit, and then she gets out, and that, that's completely dropped. It's never brought up again. Like they they say something I believe in the in the motel where they're like oh she's not acting right like she's acting strange but that it's not brought up again. Yeah. And it, I I just I feel like this is this is the most just non-focused that he's ever been with yeah. the movie. And I think it, it it has something to do with um having to course correct because one of the main characters wasn't in the movie anymore 
so they had to then come up with a way to get this other character in. Like, I don't think that Richard Brake's character even exists in a world where Sid Haig is okay. Right. Yeah, I agree. And so the kind of... I think that the Mexico stuff was the story. And I think that had Sid not, you know, been ill, that maybe the way that I just explained it would be the way that the movie would probably go. You know what I mean? Like, because I don't see them putting them in prison, making them escape, and then go to Mexico. And, you know, it going the way that it went to get to that. Like, I, I, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. The, the, that was that kind of, is, that's kind of what I've always chalked it up to, is that maybe the script was originally something else and something had to be thrown together. Like, I really like feel like the, the Mexico story was the story and that he had to, you know, come up with something to get something and again, if if you have to do that, scrap the fucking movie. <laughs> uh, I I loved the violence in the film. I thought that you know they had some really fucked up like moments. Um, the one thing I uh, I, I do I I I agree. Um, what I liked though is I do feel like they dialed it back a bit from other Rob Zombie movies, personally, and. I, I I liked that because I thought I thought this movie was a little bit more lighthearted. There were tons of jokes. There were like I remember seeing it in theaters and I was laughing most of the movie. Yeah. And I feel like had they gone the Devil's Rejects route with it, where you have this serious nature, like there there were funny parts in Devil's Rejects, but where you have like that dark serious tone throughout the whole movie, I, I, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. I think that, you know, you you look at House of a Thousand Corpses, where it's kind of, you know, this very to its own, you know, it's its own film, you know, in in the world of these other two movies, um, it's it's very much its own thing. Um, Apparently... And I just looked this up because I was curious. Um, David Daniel was the cinematographer for this film, and he's worked with Rob Zombie since Halloween 2. So before that, and I, I'm, I'm just following up on this before I say this because I want to be sure. Um, just one second. I'm going to cut all this out, so just don't you worry. Yeah, you're good. I feel like I remember his name. I feel like I remember him working on um, something else that I knew. It's weird. Yeah. 23 things. You count your music videos. <laughs> and CSMA. <laughs> okay. This is what I wanted to fucking find. Let's go I should have fucking looked this up before, but... This is where we are. Okay, so yeah. 
So, Devil's Rejects was shot by uh, Phil Parmet, who brought that documentary kind of gritty style to the film. And this new director, or director of photography, tried to emulate that and has tried to emulate that style in things like Halloween 2 and Lords of Salem. And it's because of that that it doesn't feel its own. Where Well, I'm I'm looking at the I'm looking at his IMDb. I pulled it up cuz you'd brought him up. Mm-hmm. Um and he was David Daniel was a camera operator on Devil's Rejects and it looks like that was one of the first things that he worked on. So I almost wonder too if maybe he picked up pointers. He's an understudy or something. Yeah. Because it it the visuals of the film do not feel like they're their own visuals. It feels like you know, kids wearing dad's clothes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that really stuck out to me was that it, it felt unauthentic. It, it felt like somebody doing kind of great value devil's rejects yeah we we've yeah. got a we got a devil's rejects at home the yeah. devil's rejects at home <laughs> yeah and so i i just i didn't think that that you know cuz that's one of the most important things is the visuals of the film is you know they they make you kind of understand and feel things and, and the only thing i felt was generic it just yeah, felt it, generic. It, it It is kind of a disappointment because, like you said, you have House of a Thousand Corpses, which is such a, such a different movie from The Devil's Rejects. So to just make a sequel to Devil's Rejects and make it the same as Devil's Rejects, it's almost it almost would have been cool to have a different style, and then you have these three movies that are telling a story, but each one has their own thing that stands out. And, and uh, you know... I feel that a Rob Zombie before Halloween 2 or 1 and 2 and then Lords of Salem would have went there. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, those three movies in succession really inform him as a filmmaker now. And and what I mean by that is that when Rob Zombie made House of a Thousand Corpses, he had no pre-existing idea of making a feature film. He had made, you know, music videos, but nothing really of any kind of note. You know, just music videos. So this was his directorial debut. He makes this film. He doesn't know, you know, the structure of the film. He just creates. And then he takes a chance with his follow-up, The Devil's Rejects, where he goes for a much more documentary style kind of um, gritty, ugly kind of feeling film, and that movie just blows up huge. And then it's like, okay, so let's pivot from that, and he goes with a safe bet with the Halloween film, and it does well. There's a little bit of you know scuttlebutt, but you know it's to be expected. It's a fucking remake. There's always going to be a contingent of people that are shitty. Then he makes Halloween 2. <laughs> and then the audience kind of turns on. You know, at that point, it's like, what is this shit? 
And then Lords of Salem comes out. And Lords of Salem, and I, you know, it has the the unenviable task of following Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. Now, if Halloween 2 had not been released, if he just does, you know, Lords of Salem and no Halloween 2, Lords of Salem, I think, has received a lot better than it was. Mm-hmm. But there's this mindset that he has shit the bed and now he's he's Shyamalan levels of hack. Uh, that's that's a safe assumption, assessment, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And then, so, Lords of Salem's released the way, or received the way that it is. He's trying to get this fucking hockey movie together that never comes to be. So he goes back to the well with 31 and he's trying to go for the formula that worked for him with the devil's rejects but it's not well received because it feels like a ripoff of the devil's rejects so then he says fuck it i'll just make a sequel to the devil's rejects but then one of the main characters of the film gets sick and so now fuck (laughs) (laughs) like this is the story of rob zombie If you really look at it that way, he's he's been beaten up so fucking tremendously over the course of the last couple of films that he's released. You you have to look too. It's not even just those two. I'm I don't have all the details, but I looked into it a while back. But I know that um, when he had made House of a Thousand Corpses, it was being produced by Universal. Universal. And they ended up dropping the movie. Yeah. I think it might have been because it was too violent or it wasn't what they were expecting, but they dropped the movie. Um, Lionsgate picked up Devil's Rejects. It was a success. Universal picks uh, House of a Thousand Corpses back up. Now you have things like last year there was a House of a Thousand Corpses maze at Universal Horror yeah. Nights. Yeah. Um, he makes the Halloween remake, and he initially... My, my complaint with the Halloween remake, and I, I've seen a lot of other people agree, is that the beginning part is completely unnecessary. Like, the first half where it's showing his childhood, mm-hmm. it, it's unnecessary. The second half of the movie, I don't mind. I don't... I, I it's think a, it's, well it's the exact same fucking movie, though. Exact, exactly. So, um, he, he... He made this movie, though. He, he originally wanted to break it into two parts and have a prequel movie... And then have the remake of the first movie. The Weinsteins said no. And so he was forced to put them all into one movie. He had a terrible experience working with the Weinsteins. They wanted to change a bunch of stuff with the movie. I'm sure and then they... he had much better experience oh. with the Weinsteins. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. But they wanted him to come back and make the second one. Which he was hesitant to do because of how shitty the first one went making. And he, he did it. it I, I feel like... The biggest problem Rob Zombie has had is with studios, but at the same time, with movies like 31 and uh, 3 from Hell, from what I gather from it, those were completely, he was given free reign to do what he wanted to do. Well, didn't he try to crowdfund 31? Yes. Yeah. So, he's given free reign to do what he wants to do. And those are, you know, a lot of people don't like them. A lot of people didn't care for them. For them. So it's really hard to really say because 
you have on one hand these movies that are well received that he goes on about how bad of a time he had because of studio interference but then you have these movies that are completely his vision that people don't care for and it's really hard to know what to expect from a rob zombie movie yeah <laughs> for the for that reason well uh, to me again i think most of his work is reactionary mm-hmm. and you you look at his music and, and i i know i've made this correlation in these other reviews so i'm sorry but it's the same thing everything he does is a reaction to the previous work mm-hmm. and sometimes you get something good out of it and sometimes you get something bad out of it and um, it seems like diminishing returns and I don't I don't want that perspective of Rod Zombie because I think that again and I've said it before he's he's a voice that's important so uh, Reapers where are you at with this Reapers 4 or 3 from Hell I'm gonna give it a 3 um, yeah I I enjoyed it. I thought it I thought it was unnecessary, absolutely, but as a movie it was enjoyable. I had fun watching it. Um the violence was over the top. The jokes were hilarious. The characters, you know, they're enjoyable to watch. They have good chem- they have amazing chemistry. Um I I'd, I'd put it right in the middle with a 3. Uh for me this is just kind of it's so disappointing because I had I had an inspection or an inspection mm-hmm. of inspection expectation <laughs> expectation we got that. words uh, I had an expectation of what it was supposed to be because of the previous films I had an idealized expectation because you know of the, the people associated with it. And it missed all of those expectations, so it was it was super underwhelming. Um, I just I thought that you know, even even looking back at the movie and watching it again, there there's moments that I enjoy. Um, but overall, I just I was underwhelmed. So I'm gonna come in with a two. That's fair. Yeah, I, I, you know, again, I like all of the players in the in the piece. I like the characters. I like the world. I just didn't like the movie. And and you know, I understand the reasonings behind everything. I understand you get a studio associated with something, and you tell you promise them something. You know, it's not your fault that the guy got sick, and you have to just kind of roll with the punches um, but it's not a good movie
Alright, we did it. We fucking did it, you guys. I mean, I did it. But you guys did it too, because it's like you were here. You, you, you kind of you got to like sit around and listen to my hard work. You know, but that, that, I'm not taking anything away from you. Because cause sitting down and just listening to somebody for hours, like, it was, it was fucking hours. That's like a lot of work for you. That you sat for hours and listened to the, uh, like, like, just, just take the time that you've spent dealing with this Rob Zombie shit and then just kind of triple it and you know that that would you know that would that would be yeah you, you guys did great though <laughs> you did you did a wonderful job I'm really fucking proud of you uh, so th that's the end of of our discussion on Rob Zombie I, I hope like deep in my heart like in 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 the fucking core of the fiber of my of my soul i hope that this was entertaining for you i hope it was informative i hope i made you laugh i don't hope i made you cry but if i did i'd love to hear about it not not for any like sexual reason or anything like that i mean it's not be weird but um you know, uh, Rob Zombie is an interesting guy, man. He's, you know, somebody that I thought I knew a lot about until I started to do this show and I found out things I didn't know. And, you know, there's a lot of things you could say about the guy. You could say, oh, you know, he, he puts his fucking wife in his movies too much. And, um, you know, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you work with the person that, you know, you say cut and then go into the trailer and just kind of bang one out, you know? Like, I I try to do everything I can with my wife. It's weird that you don't try to do everything you can with yours. Maybe, maybe it's not an indictment on him. Maybe it's an indictment on you. Maybe he likes having his wife around. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's just, you know, trying to double dip and get as much money as he can. The, both could be true. Both could be very true. Uh, let's see. What, what's another thing that's said a lot about Rob Zombie that I've probably said a lot about Rob Zombie? Um, creatively bankrupt. I'd, I'd still say that's true. <laughs> No, the, the, it takes a lot of creativity to take things from the 50s and 60s and 70s and repurpose them, dirty them up, and make them your own. You know, it, he's got a very unique vision that feels very reminiscent of other people's very unique vision. Um, maybe I should have done this retrospect portion, the, the, the summation before I spent as much time as I did. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I really did enjoy a good portion of the films that we covered. I was happy 
to revisit Lords of Salem. That was that was definitely the highlight for me. Um, also, I like to be negative, so reviewing the Halloween movies was a lot of fun for me. I hope that you guys hate those films as much as I do, because I fucking hate them, and my opinion has not changed. I uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do this again in like I don't know five years if I'm still alive when I'm when I'm 45. I could just say, you know what? Let's try these Halloween movies again. See if they suck less this time. You know, maybe maybe maturity has changed my mind, and then they won't. And then I'll be angry all over again, and it'll be fun. Maybe we'll try that. Uh, we'll see. Who knows? Um, anywho. We're all done with Rob Zombie. So where do we go from here? Well, I'll tell you where we're going to go. We're going to go to the 1980s. Um, for the foreseeable future, to be exact. Uh, going forward, until I deem otherwise, or until a film reaches out and grabs me by the dick and says, you will not ignore me. Until that moment, we're going to be hanging out in the 1980s, talking about the best generation, the best decade of horror, in my humble opinion. Uh, 1980s horror is a special time for the horror genre, and I'll try to... Uh, address that as much as I can in the bonus cut portions of the show but uh, uh, needless to say it is a it is a place and time near and dear to my heart and uh, we're going to start with I think the best way to get into the 80s and that is by reviewing the 1982 film Pieces so if you have not seen Pieces Seriously, what the fuck are you doing? Um, I just gave you guys a present. Like I, like, I made you sit through all of this Rob Zombie and my present to you. If you've never seen it, it's pieces. It's, it's, it's worth your time. Um, definitely watch it. I, I believe there's a free va- version available on YouTube. I know you can find it on Amazon. And I'm sure, like, if you guys are, like, Shudder fucks or whatever the fuck um you probably find it there too uh dude i watched it and i can't wait to start talking about that fucking movie um so definitely um give that one a watch before we come back because uh you know again we're gonna we're gonna be going into bonus cuts and doing all that stuff so there will be kind of a kind of you know, spoilery kind of stuff. And again, I, I'm hoping with any luck that I'm able to cull enough information to make that uh, split up into two episodes. That's kind of what I'd like to do going forward. In terms of Creature Features flashbacks for the month of March, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this somewhere else yet, but I'm going to mention it here. This is specifically uh, at the behest of Jamie, who's one of the listens, listeners of the show and has been a fan for a while, really liked the old school style, and um, he gave me a couple of uh, episodes that he really enjoyed. He really enjoyed the Candyman episode, um, 
and he also really liked the Nightmare on Pod Street series, which is where this whole thing started. So that's where uh, the the Creature Features flashbacks will go as a thank you to Jamie for listening for as long as he has. And, uh, you know, if you want to help, you know, kind of steer the way that the ship goes, you know, you just got to kiss my ass a little bit. I'm not like saying, you know, you got to believe in me for you to be able to go to heaven. I'm just saying, you know, say, hey, good fucking show. I'd really like if you did this. And I'd probably fucking do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, uh, you know, I just, I just, it's like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but again, that's, that's, that's the way the podcast works. You know, if you, if you like something, you got to say something about it. And, you know, if you don't like something, you got to say something about it. That's the only way that anybody's ever going to prove. That's why I am very critical when I review these films, these old films that uh, nobody's going to give a shit about other than, like, maybe me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm high. I'm tired. It's been a long run, a long go of this. Um podcast that I think you should absolutely be looking out for and listening to Badasses, Boobs, and Body Count uh, the Stephen Queen's podcast Horror Haven podcast there, there's there's all kinds of fucking podcasts out there for you to give a shout out to but those are the ones I want to give a shout out to because they were cool enough to be on this journey with me Jeremy Todd Moorhead uh, Natalie uh, Jennifer Nangle, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on of just quality people that have been fucking kind to me uh, through the course of this show. Anthony Missionary Thomas uh, was the person who said to me, hey man, don't make that fucking episode four and a half hours. Spread that shit out. And I'm glad that I did because it would have been a fucking chore for you to listen to. It was a chore to put together. And then I had to you know, re-edit and reformat, and it's just kind of the way that these things work. Um, this has already been a long-ass episode. I'm already really fucking long-winded. So, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. So, for the Horror Haven podcast, for Jeremy Todd Moorhead, for the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast, for Bill Mosley, for Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah, I got it. For Brian Posehn, for Tom Papa, for John Five, for Sherry Moon Zombie, for the Ghost of Sherry Moon Zombie. Tyler Maine, for Ken Foray, for Rob Zombie, and for Sid, always for Sid, and for myself. Again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Hopefully, other places sooner than later. Listen. Someone you trust.
today, guys, anytime. Which one of you geniuses doing the interview? Yeah, I am. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. You ready? I ain't getting any younger. You dressed as a clown, but behind that colorful facade of joy lurks something much darker. Who is the real Captain Spaulding? <laughs> Goddamn, Bork, could you get more dramatic? Well, what I ain't is the fantasy created by the injustice system and all them apes. That's all on them. So you're saying... I'm saying I'm just a clown dancing for the fucking man. A dancing clown that's been convicted of 38 murders. What a slap of shit out of you. I don't understand the question. Do I stutter? I don't know. There are skid marks in front of the squirrel. You roll that around in your coconut for a while, big shot. So you think you were railroaded by the system because you're a clown? I am what they make me. I'm your bozo Jesus hung out to dry for the sins of mankind. Oh, fuck. All hail the man behind the grease paint. 